Art of the Kickstart, episode 104. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating, creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Before we jump into the interview, if you're looking for crowdfunding fulfillment, make sure you talk to eFulfillmentService.com. They're a small company. That means they've got your back. Check them out. Guys, welcome back to Art of the Kickstart. Today, we've got an awesome interview with two random guys I met in China. Say hello to Jacob Rothman and Jason Wong, two of the founders of Platform 88. And there's a bit of a story behind this before we get them on. So I'm in China working on Shido Stand. And I get a random email from these two guys. I assume they want crowdfunding help. No, they're actually building a business to help inventors and entrepreneurs with launching physical products and some of the craziness behind China sourcing. We meet up, we go to their offices, and it's pretty freaking cool. I wanted to get them on the podcast to share what they've learned, what they know about China, what they know about retail and building product-based businesses. And hopefully to get some help for Shido Stand as well. So thanks so much for coming, Jacob and Jason. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us thanks, on. Thanks, man. Yeah. So we typically kick these off with a life quote or a success quote. But there's two of you guys and we've had plenty of quotes. So what is the biggest mistake that you two see inventors make, crowdfunding or otherwise? Wow. Trying to understand China from uh, from afar is really difficult to do. So... You have to make sure that you're working with the right people here on the ground to make sure your your project gets launched correctly. What are some examples of that? Well, I think some of the biggest problems are there's really two types of Kickstarters, crowdfunding, and startups. There's there's guys who sort of put together something in their garage and then launch it on, on a crowdfunding program and those who sort of do the engineering beforehand. And I think the the biggest problem is not sort of working pre-Kickstarter to figure out the problems that you're going to have if you have a successful campaign. And who are some of the clients that you guys have worked with, just to give you a little bit of credibility? Well, we actually have NDAs with a lot of our clients, but there's we're currently working with about 40 different Kickstarters and Indiegogos and startups. Both Jason and I come from a background of working with brands. We've worked for Walmart and Target, Sears, Home Depot, Lowe's. Jason has uh, also worked with similar client base. So just to give categories, we have done products from simple, like cups, containers, things like that, to complicated from IoT devices to exercise machines. So it ranges from simple to complicated products. We have covered a range. And so this podcast is Art of the Kickstart. It was initially just crowdfunded products. We're starting to expand into all product entrepreneurs. And that's kind of why I wanted to get you on, because when you're making something, a, half the stuff you want to make does not make sense to make stateside. The costs just aren't there, the structures. Take us through when it's time to go abroad with manufacturing. What are some of the kind of benchmarks around that? I guess would, uh, I guess would depend by category, but still, whether for good or for bad, the majority of the world's consumer products are made here in Asia. There's a trend to bring things back home to the United States. There's a really interesting group out of Chicago called Catalyze who's doing some work around that. But for the most part, 
if you're going to sell into retail and if you're going to sell in quantities beyond a few thousand units, uh, which I think is the goal of most startups, you definitely want to bring it to Asia. And until companies hit about the five or $10 million mark, it really doesn't make sense for you to start a, a rep office here in, in China. So one, well, I will add to that. One of the things that we'll consider is just what is your retail price point that you will be considering when you bring it to the market? So if you're thinking about that price point, I would work that backwards to see if manufacturing in the U.S. makes sense. But most likely it wouldn't, and you have to manufacture in China. The other thing I would think about is just how much resources you have. So if you're going to need to come to China, you got to have to feel that all the challenges are coming here, the language barrier, knowing the supply chain. And you mentioned earlier, Matt, that people make a mistake. The first mistake they make is try to utilize Alibaba and try to say, oh, I'll find a manufacturer on there. In actuality, when you go there, there's a lot of mistaken ideas that you will be able to find a good manufacturer. And when you come to the ground level to China, you realize that that's not the right manufacturer. So you got to also calculate whether do you want to go through the pains of doing that and then figure that out from that point. Yeah, I definitely found some losers on Alibaba. Guys, if you... Google Alibaba Art of the Kickstart. We've got some of the mistakes I've made, some tips to kind of help you through that. But I want to get back to that retail pricing, Jason. So you were talking a little bit about this, but a lot of our listeners, they might not be as familiar. A lot of them are just direct to consumer. So let's say for Shido Stand, I want to have this at a $99 price point. Take us through the margins and markups so people can kind of understand and see if their product even fits retail. Well, typically speaking, if you're there's a few steps in the manufacturing and distributing process. And if you're going to sell directly into retail, you have to be sort of, you have to understand that you're going to make anywhere between 20 to 30% FOB, uh, meaning you're shipping from China, if you're going to sell directly into retail. Typically, though, on a st- with a startup, putting in the infrastructure in the United States, a warehouse, distribution, a team to fulfill the orders, EDI, all the different parts and pieces that you need to sell to retail outlets sometimes doesn't add up and isn't cost effective. So then you bring on a distributor to fulfill your goods. And a distributor will typically take 20 to 30 points. And then on top of that, the retailer, depending on who it is, is going to take an additional, the low end 30 points and uh, usually the high end 60 points, depending on the product and the category. So if you add all that back up, I think it's usually somewhat shocking to most people new to retail and and manufacturing products, how thin margins can be. So if you've got thin margins, that means you've got to have a certain markup or price point to be able to make your product stand. So what would you recommend versus uh, a multiplier, if you will, for China-based pricing? Okay, I can get this on Alibaba. Everything's going to be perfect. It's going to be $5. What do I have to sell that for? at retail to make a decent profit? Where's the kind of cutoff? Not everyone wants to go through the math. So we'll have you do it. Well, if you typically a $20 product at retail would somewhere cost you around 6 to $7. And then in turn, you would sell it, uh, sell it to a retailer, FOB China. That means, again, that they're picking up here in China for anywhere to 9 to $10. And that 9 to $10 is then doubled again by a retailer. So a $20 product, typically FOB China is costing $5, $6. And then if you step up to a $25 or $30 uh, product, it's adding a few dollars from there. 
So those are tiny, tiny margins. And the, the right, and the other thing, Matt, to consider is also that there are other things that the retail channels will ask for. For example, every that shelf space budgets, things like that, uh, as to the cost. The other thing, the retailer will get back to you on. It could range from three to five percent. So these are extra costs that most startups don't remember to add on when they sell the wholesale price to the retailer. But these are things that could make a big difference. Any retail horror stories? Typically, if you can share something personal, people connect with it better. Wow. Um, Horror stories, lots. It's really hard to ship to retail. There's horror stories in terms of quality and manufacturing. You think you have the specs correct, everything's good. And uh, then you know it, it gets shipped, you don't do the QC properly, and the store wants to return everything to you, which can bankrupt even mid-size to larger companies. There are horror stories in terms of not understanding the terms, and you agreed on a, on a contract with a retailer to have a return-to-vendor scenario. So if you don't sell through, uh, typically in the high 80s or 90s, you, uh, the retailer can return to you. So you don't have a warehouse, you ship them your goods, and all of a sudden they want to return you know, hundreds or per- perhaps thousands of units back to you. But yeah, it's it's really difficult to deal with retail. And even though a lot of these categories that are on Kickstarter now and Indiegogo seem new, or there are slight variations of products that are already out there, there's already medium and large size companies doing similar products that have their distribution set up and they know how to negotiate with chain stores. So Getting into retail and 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 uh, even if you have really really cool products is 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 really hard. And not only that, you know, just understanding the landscape of how it, how to do it is 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 hard as well. Aside from price points, who would you recommend pursue retail? So, say I've got an incredible widget. My widget does X Y Z. What are some rules of thumb that you guys go for, or you kind of consult the startups that you work on? You've worked with quite a few. Should you go e-commerce? Should you go retail? Should you go another route entirely? Any any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, most startups have to have this moment where they ask themselves, what do they want to, uh, what kind of company do they want to be? Do they want to be a company that builds the infrastructure to sell directly into retail? Uh, and if so, that's one business model. Or do they want to be a company that works with distributors? who will then sell it into retail. And that really depends on the bandwidth of, of the, the co-founding team or the founding team. You know, a lot of people, as you know, are doing this as night and weekend jobs and are on the fence constantly between uh, thinking about, do I quit my job and I actually do this full time or do I try to do it part time? And jumping off the cliff is depends on how much you believe in your product and if you can really you know, jump in and commit full time to doing it. The other part that I would ask, um, have startups think about is actually to start small and continue to grow your customer base through specialty shops, through core shops, through people that will promote your brands instead of going uh, quickly to a major retail chain store. You want to get a brand recognition. You want to get the practice of selling. You want to get the practice of marketing. Get that things done, done well before you launch at a major retailer where you cannot make a mistake. So I would suggest to do a lot of iterations before doing that. The problem though, Matt, is when I first started, I'm, I'm in my early 40s, but when, when I first started even to now, which is 
you know, I've been doing this for 15 or more years. There were many more retailers than there are today in the United States. Just in the Northeast alone, there was Ames, Hills, Caldor. Caldor was a great chain of stores, uh, Bradley's. Caldor was a great chain of stores in the Northeast. It's a little bit similar to Target today. And all of them, unfortunately, have been swallowed up by, you know, either Walmart or Target in the mass retailing space or in the DIY space, Home Depot or Lowe's. And it used to be that you could potentially try yourself out or organize your company and, and get your team in place by selling to a, a smaller chain. But now it's it's like winning the lottery. You either get into the only one or two or three retailers in that category or you're outside. So it's actually a little bit hard to do what Jason says, but I agree with him in the sense that you can start as slow as possible. But even now, slow is is big. If you want to go retail, what's the best way to pitch them? We've never done this before. How does someone reach out to a retailer, big or small, and try to get trial runs? Well, it's like, you know, uh, it's like that old joke in New York. How do I get to the Met? You know, practice, 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 right? So, you know, it's fine. Just finding alone the, uh, finding alone just the name of the buyer at chain stores can be very difficult. They don't make it readily available. You can't call Walmart switch line and say, Hey, can you please tell me who the name of the electronics buyer is? They tend to shut that down. So it's a combination of asking people. It's a combination of linking in. It's a combination of finding salespeople maybe who already has a relationship with that retailer. It's doing whatever you can to try to find out the name of, uh, of the buyer at a particular place and then contacting them. We usually suggest that retailers make a really one simple one-page introduction that has pictures of the product, some specs, maybe a link uh, on that page to some social media uh, because they don't have a lot of time. So it really needs to be one quick hit uh, once you get the name of the buyer uh, to introduce yourself. And then it's continually to practice and practice and follow up until he or she listens to you. Yeah, because they get a million pitches. And a lot of these places, they'll review a certain product category for one month and they're on to something else the next month. It's all seasonal how they're going through these review processes. I've got a friend, Michael Fonde. He was on the show with the Ravioli Roller and he's crushing it now, has a massive retail order coming in. But at the same time, that puts a ton of pressure on the entrepreneur. What do I do if my manufacturing's not aligned with what my orders are that I'm getting? What would you guys talk about that a little bit more? Let's get into that. We were talking about that a little before the before the show. We were talking about Cheeto stand. What do I do if I get a massive order? What do other Kickstarters do if they've got not enough set up on the back end? So Matt, on that one, I would suggest that start early, start researching early and plan your supply chain. It takes a lot of time to figure out who, which suppliers to work with and also which component suppliers to work with. And these things take time uh, to figure out to make sure that they're compliant to the retail standard. Uh, two is that they also can meet the quality and the specification that uh, you as a startup want on your product. I would suggest to start the process early on, during or before your Kickstarter to start thinking that if you're going to be running 100,000 units a month, what would that look like? A lot of times it surprises, um, it surprised me that it also surprised a lot of startups that they don't realize that it does take six months to a year to figure out a supply chain. And it, it does take a lot of hard work being on the ground in China to figure that out. 
The other thing is also to think about is that, for for example, on your shido stand, is also some compliance requirements of shipping out wood from China. Uh, those things also some com- some factories do not know how to do to get the right certifications, and that is also something that you need to figure out uh, with the supplier early on these requirements. Well, not only that too is that um, things are so stringent now. Post Bangladesh, there was an awful fire several years ago in Bangladesh. Retailers care about uh, how your exit doors open. Do they open out or in? And they fully expect if you're going to be working with a retailer. Maybe some of your listeners don't know, but Let's say you got an order from Office Depot for a Shido stand. It's likely if you were going to do that business, FOB China, or even domestically, that Office Depot is going to want to do the due diligence to come to your factory, check it out. And they typically do that with one or three, one of three different services, either Bureau Veritas, SGS, or ITS. And they all have a checklist of things that they're looking for from proper insurance, working standards, um, hours, uh, wages, overtime and fire extinguishers. And if you your factory isn't willing and able to make the changes to get compliant, you won't be able to ship to the retailer, which one of the things that we see, which is heartbreaking, is that a retailer will find a vendor that they like here in China. They will spend the time and money on molds and setup and not knowing that the factory is and then they go to get an order. They get an order, which is a huge victory for the team. And BV, SGS, or ITS goes and inspect, and they can't ship. And then the whole thing stops. And to us, it's heartbreaking to see that. Let me play devil's advocate. A good plan executed today is better than an incredible plan executed tomorrow. How do you avoid that premature optimization that would hold you back when you're trying to perfect things like this? Premature optimization. So, um, you know, how do you just get it? get it done, get it iterated, get uh, your MVP out uh, versus uh, making strategic plans for long term. Is that is that the question? Yeah. So if I go into this with a 20-year roadmap, that's going to slow down my start today to the point where I almost can't even contemplate doing it. Well, I think, you know, it's like, it's like when you learn a foreign language. As it, when you're standing on the outside trying to learn it for the first time, it seems really difficult. But it's actually not that complicated. Work with the right supplier. Make sure the supplier is relatively compliant um, or, you know, close to or has an ability or a desire to get compliant. I mean, those are, you know, it's not as deep and, and uh, uh, time consuming and, and mysterious as, as you might think. You, you just have to follow some, some pretty basic guidelines. One of it is making sure the factory can be compliant, have a good engineering team on the ground, a good QC team on the ground. So. I think startups should start even start correctly because they don't have a lot of money to redo the process at another factory later. Have you seen that happen to a lot of Kickstarters? You've worked with quite a few clients at this point. Yeah, many to most because, you know, one of the reasons we started this company is that I wanted to bring, you know, the 10 or 12 plus years Jason and myself and the other members of the team have, we wanted to bring those tools and knowledge base to smaller startups and and help that group. And um, yeah, um, I would say a good chunk, maybe even a third or more, make some of those mistakes or all of those mistakes uh, starting out. I'm definitely in that chunk. Guys, Jason and Jacob have been helping me on Cheeto Stand. I've made a couple of errors. I told people maybe two months or so we'd have launched in two months. And now you're hearing it here first. We're launching in about two months. 
Shido stands come in eventually, but this is definitely something that happens to people when they try to get the product perfect. One of the things that it is, it takes twice as long, it takes twice as much money, and it looks like prepping in advance is a good way to go. Now, I want to segue a little bit. What do you guys want to touch on that you think would be beneficial for our audience? Hmm. I don't think we Jason did. We, we didn't really prepare, have a list of questions before the interview, but well, one of the things I, I think a lot of startups need to understand is that building a hardware business is very complicated uh, today. Even though there are many tools to create your idea to bring to life, but the going to manufacturing and getting the product into channels is still a very long process. So one of the things that I, I suggest to a lot of startups to start thinking and brainstorming together is with people that experts, if you will, that have long years of experience doing this and seeing what are the pitfalls, plan for those pitfalls early on. We've seen many things that could happen, for example, picking the wrong supplier. But even beyond that is the design cannot be scalable for manufacturing. The tools that you invest in today is good for that 10,000 units. But once you get the 100,000 unit order, you don't have a good tool to have for the larger orders. These issues can actually sometimes be pre-planned, can be de-risked, but it takes people with years of experience that can come to your team and say, okay, I've seen this before. Here's how we can help. The reason why, uh, and Jacob touched upon this, that we, we as Platform 8 want to do this is to bring that level of experience. Some of the startups that we have found before is they have went to a design firm, designed a great product, but it's not scalable, it's not manufacturable. And we actually had to spend time re-engineering, at which point the startup has to spend more money with the limited budget that they have to do it the right way. So some of the things that I say to, to the listeners would be, you know, get advice from somebody early on that have experience doing your uh, similar product in similar categories that could help you and advise you. Yeah, one thing I would add to what Jason said is that one mistake is that don't do design for manufacturing or DFM in your home country only. If you can't, you know, a lot of people, a lot of mistakes that we see is people will slave over CAD machines and and get everything, you know, designed down to the millimeter. And then they either hand that off to another company or they come over here and try to make it and realize that they can't. Design for manufacturing should be done with your factory, with your manufacturer, with your the person's going to help you on the ground in the factory, making sure everything makes sense to the mold makers and production crew and assembly line. And if you're not doing that, or if you're trying to quarterback DFM from your home country, it just can be really difficult or impossible. Yeah, I'll add my two cents. I had some magic CAD that I'd created. Apparently, my manufacturer had no way to make that. Make sure that you're working with the factory and you know what they're able to do. They can help you influence the designs and send them stuff in millimeters if you're going to China. Inches just adds a little bit of an added hassle. (laughs) But I don't think the U.S. is ever switching. But God, it would be nice if we did. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, I had something I wanted to ask you. And then the call cut. And of course, we got back to this. So I think what we should do now in kind of wrapping up, I think this has been a really beneficial interview for people, for people that want to take their business to the next level, especially retail. That's something that I'm considering most crowdfunders are considering. 
Where is the best place for people to get a hold of you guys, Jacob, Jason? We have a internet site, www.platform. Oh my God, did you just say an internet site, Jacob? We're friends. I got to call you out. What? <laughs> that sounds so old. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I am 42. What am I supposed to say? We oh, no, you're a young. Jacob's a cool guy. We'll give him a, we'll give him a break on that. <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to go? We have a website and the website. address is www.platform88.net, not .com. And, you know, that's probably the best place to get a hold of us. But but we're actually re- in the process of relaunching our site. So it sort of explains a little bit more the process and also helps hopefully mentor or teach people even just coming to the site and reading about how things are done. And you guys can um, email us directly. My email address is jason at platform88.net and jacob is jacob.rothman at platform88.net. Sorry, and sorry to laugh, Jacob. I just thought it was a little funny. We should introduce a little humor at the end of the podcast. One last question for you guys. <laughs> so clearly there's a benefit for getting someone that's done this before, either yourself or someone else to help them post Kickstarter. But what are some good places to look, free resources for people that want to do or think they should do this on their own. There's Alibaba. What are some other ways where people can learn more about China sourcing? Do you go to the Canton Fair? Do you just need to go boots on the ground? Let's wrap up with that question. Canton Fair is a decent place uh, to look and to get your feet wet. It's kind of the first time I went, I was just sort of uh, blown away by you know, all the sights and sounds and people that are there. Although it's a bit noisy, it's hard to really narrow down on someone who can help you. There's also the Hong Kong Electronics Show. There's the Hong Kong Enterprise, which is also helpful. Uh, but again, it's you're weeding through hundreds and hundreds of factories and not knowing, you know, if they're a factory, if they're not a factory, if they're good, if they're bad, you know, if they'll protect your IP, if they'll you know, it's it's kind of a wild place, but coming over here is a good idea. Making a short list of, you know, factories or suppliers or people and, and you know, just sort of figuring it out. It's expensive and time consuming, but it's a good way to do it. Yeah, everyone speaks good email or speaks good English on email. Ha, once ha, you got Retribution is mine. Retribution yeah. is absolutely <laughs> yours. We will not edit that out. <laughs> everyone... <laughs> Everybody speaks good English on e- on the email, but once you get into those like emergency situations, oh, Jason is cracking up right now. Yes, this is one of the funnier oh podcasts, guys. We are breaking it down. So seriously, though, English, that's a massive, massive thing when you're manufacturing. If you can't communicate, it's going to be tough. One of the factories I was considering with Shido Stand, dear Lord, they could just not cut it. I could barely explain what I was talking in the same room. Make sure you're working with a quality factory. Check out platform88.net, guys. They're pretty cool. They've been helping me out, and I'm sure they can help you guys out as well. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Hey, guys. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you liked the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. 
And if you like this show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely 